This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Brought to you by Albait Resort, a renovation of style in the heart of Sharjah. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, it is a Sharjah Children's Reading Festival special today on Life Beats with award-winning authors across the two hours. We're going to be kicking off the first hour with the best-selling author who, 25 years ago, launched a series that has helped millions of kids get excited about math through visual storytelling. Yes, I said get excited. Stuart J. Murphy is here to talk how art can transform education next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. The heart of Shaja. This is Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Visual learning specialist and children's book author Stuart J. Murphy saw mathematics as one subject that stuck out like a sore thumb with most children simply not taking to it. And this became the inspiration for his first book, The Best Bug Parade, which he wrote at the age of 46, presenting mathematical concepts in the context of stories to get children excited about the subject. And this was the start of the award-winning Math Start series, 63 books that present maths concepts in the context of stories for pre-K through to grade four. This is amazing. We have Stuart J. Murphy with us here in the studio. How exciting. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So wonderful to have you. And um, this is amazing. You're bringing your uh, your books, your Math Start series, to us here in Sharjah at the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival. Um, but this is a series that has just kind of blown up all over the world. You're writing about maths, but actually you're an artist. <laughs> so let's kind of start from there. How did all of this start for you from being an artist to writing these best-selling books? Well, I'm an art school background. I, I graduated from art school, and I intended to be an illustrator. That was my idea. I was going to become an illustrator. That's what I always thought I would do. And um, when I became, um, when I graduated from art school, I uh, eventually was hired. And then over the next uh, three years of starting out, as we all do with our careers, I was hired by an educational publisher to start helping them on developing their materials. And it became apparent to me that we needed more visual instruction for our kids. And so let me start right there because the field of visual learning is not a field that a lot of people know about. Exactly. Visual learning. What does that mean exactly? You know, when I started talking about it at conferences, uh, I used to call it visual literacy. And I got a lot of pushback from the reading education people that it was not a literacy. And I started thinking about that a little bit. And I said, wait a minute, that's not an argument I even want to have. I don't care what we call it. I want people to do it. And so I, what I did was I started calling it visual learning, which 
which is much more acceptable. And now that the years of research have gone by and how effective it is, I noticed that the term visual literacy is creeping back into our educational language because there is now a lot of research behind it. So um, basically, our kids are visual learners. We are visual learners. Uh, we learned to learn visually long before we learned to read and long before we learned about numbers and um, other other ways of doing things. We started as babies. Our minds started differentiating between something that was big, something that was small, something that was far away, something that was closer, and making decisions based on those and, uh, and, and started learning visually about the world in which they lived. And then we kind of abandoned that as we uh, became more and more involved with our kids being schooled. And instead, I felt a strong need to return to that, especially in the field of mathematics. That's amazing because um, we, th- we think about, you know, visual learning, but we never, ever relate it back to maths. So how do you do it? How do you relate it back to maths? Well, you know, you, ha- you, you should be able to see what's going on. You know, uh, one, of, one of the things, and you've already touched on this, is that our, our, our children um, really are not always as engaged in math as they might be. It's not necessarily, except for those kids who are really involved in math or math and science, a, a lot of children, it's not their favorite subject. It's and usually low on the list. low, low on the list. Yeah. And that's a shame because it's such a dynamic and interesting and also, may I say, essential subject, an essential subject for them, us, all of us to be successful in our lives and how we manage our lives and how we do things and how we move forward. And so I think that a basic understanding of math, I think we can all agree, is a very important thing for our children to have. And um, so I think that um, it was a shame to see kids disengaged in math, not certain whether they liked it or not, facing another row of numbers, wondering about these equations, thinking, what does this mean to me? And I kept on thinking, wait a minute, this is not how kids have to feel about mathematics. My job in educational publishing gave me a chance to spend a lot of time in schools, Hmm. a lot of time with kids. So suddenly I was with kids. I was in classrooms with their teachers, spending a lot of time with them. And I found that if kids found that math was presented within the context of a story, something they cared about, something that might be sports-related or pet-related or family-related or friend-related or shoe-related or whatever it might be, something that they were interested in and that had something to do with their lives, that perked them up. They were much more interested in the math because, in fact, it had something to do with their lives. And then I found if I could sketch out what was going on with the math, there are now double these. What does that look like? So if they're double three, it doesn't look like six right away. It looks like two threes. And so you have to make sure that you express that visual in a way that expresses the mathematics that's going on. The kids should be able to see the doubling. And of course, we could get much more complex with that and talking about being able to see a percentage or be, being able to see dimension and scale. Uh, but I think that example uh, uh, begins to show you how one can visualize the mathematics. And so uh, and so st- I started to do that. I started telling stories about math in front of kids while I was drawing on the board. So I was drawing on the board, drawing away, and, and, draw- and saying, you know, this is what's going on in my little story about what's going on about this bear or this elephant or whatever I was talking about. And they would get engaged in it because they could see the math. And that's what it was all about because it was no longer ab- abstract to them. It was no longer an abstract concept. It was real. That's brilliant. I love that so much. And so talk to us about the reaction of the kids. When you're drawing on the board there, um, do they kind of go from, you know, glazed looks to 
suddenly, you know, arms shooting up in the air and, and wanting to answer the questions? Yes. One of, the, one of the schools I had a chance to present in was a uh, little, slightly older children. Uh, they were more like uh, 12 years old, if I remember correctly. And uh, and they were supposed to be, they were labeled reluctant learners. Of course, as soon as they knew that, they were became even more reluctant. Reluctant and, learners. <laughs> reluctant learners. Yeah. For, th- thankfully, that's a phrase that's gone away. But they were lab- kind of labeled reluctant learners. Well, I found out they weren't reluctant at all. They were bored. And... <laughs> <laughs> and so they and so I started talking to them at that age about um, 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 a store where you buy uh, uh, where you buy recordings and uh, where you, uh, you know for music the music they liked and how would you stock the store and uh, how much uh, hip hop would you have or how much uh, classical music would you have how much country and western would you have and suddenly we got involved in these incredible conversations and I had these reluctant learners after only about four days I had them present in fact it was four days because on the Friday of that school week the end of the school week, they made a presentation to the regular students, if you will, the non-reluctant learners that blew their minds. These were the kids that were disinterested in math talking about, well, we think that there should be an, only a only a 12% uh, uh, classical music part in our in our music store because there more people are listening to country and western and more people listening to hip-hop. We think those should be a higher percentage. And all of a sudden, they were using this language way beyond what the other students thought they were capable of. They were engaged in the mathematics. That is incredible. I love that so much. Suddenly, you know, you've given it, it's all about the context. It's all about, you know, bringing those skills out into the real world. And how many times have we heard within, you know, maths class thinking, you're looking up at the ward and thinking, where on earth am I ever going to use that in real life, right? Exactly so. In fact, um, I was talking with the students yesterday at one of the schools I visited, a school called um, Ambassador School. It's in Dubai. And I was talking about the three things I put into all my stories, pictures, words, and math. And I said, you know, those are the three things you tell stories with. You you, you all know you tell stories with words. And, uh, and you can imagine, visualize, you can tell stories with pictures. But most people don't think about telling stories with mathematics. But think about it a minute because you can't say much without math. You can't talk about how tall you are, what time it is, how much money you've got in your pocket. All those things require a mathematical kind of thinking to them. And if you can put that together and think of math as a storytelling vehicle, it does indeed change your mindset. And that's what we're trying to do. So fantastic. We are in conversation right now with Stuart J. Murphy uh, talking about his Math Start series, uh, but he's got to so many other series as well. We're going to be talking about those next and um, uh, much, much more about visual learning with Stuart J. Murphy. More to come on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, Stuart J. Murphy is with us here in the studio. He is an award-winning author who has made maths fun for kids. Yes, believe it or not, he has (laughs) done what seems like the impossible. Um, But it's all through visual learning and um, taking a different way uh, of looking at numbers, of looking at maths and making it uh, something that is... um, something that kids can can use in everyday life. But Stuart, what's really interesting in all of this, I know we're talking about visual learning, but it feels like it, it's, it's not something that um, is happening still, even now when we talk about maths 
in schools generally. We're, we're not um, teaching our kids visually. They're still being given the same old curriculum, even though you've been doing this for 25 years and, um, you know, it's it's spread all over the world. How do you explain that? Well, there are changes. I mean, I feel a little more optimistic than that. There are changes, and teachers do get more and more engaged in learning through projects and learning through visualizations. And I can give you a couple of fantastic examples of that. Um, but I also think I want to um, I want to address the parent factor in this uh, just a little bit, also, because I think uh, parents can play a key role in their children's mathematics education in a way that they might not think about. And uh, the 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 way in which I think of that is that um, um, parents are often afraid, concerned, I was never good at math myself, uh, or maybe uh, they're not teaching it the same way I learned it. I'm not sure if I understand it. What if I make a mistake? Uh, Should I help with their homework? I don't think teaching math skills to your child has anything to do with helping with homework, nothing to do with helping with homework. I think it has to do with exhibiting math in your life talking about math in your life. Math should be part of your conversation. I've got to make money for the toll. How can I put, put that money together in a way that's easy to count? I've got to buy something at the store. Do I have enough change to buy that or should I use a credit card to buy that? Do I have enough money in my wallet? Have the child look at the different things on the boxes to see how much sugar is in one and how much sugar is in another and which one should be used and which one's a better thing to buy. How many things do you have in your shopping basket? Um, um, what about these two pair of shoes and this one costs this much and this one costs this much but this one on sale. What's the percentage difference between those? And and that should be a part of um, the ongoing conversation. We're deciding to go on a vacation. How many days should it be? Uh, how many days should we spend here? Making a timeline, making a little chart, and trying to decide how to do it. And what you're doing is bringing math to life. And children are suddenly seeing, your child is suddenly saying, hey, I know something about that. I'm contributing to this conversation. It's a conversation about mathematics. And that, Chris, that very notion is a great idea, a conversation about mathematics. And uh, I think that those are ways in which parents can be very, very helpful um, instruments. I also I also think it's good for teachers to meet with parents when they're um, when they're coming up with a new concept that's going to be taught. Um, I sat through a couple of these on estimation skills, which is so important because estimating quantities and things like that is a, is a life skill. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and, and, and I'm going to go back to that phrase. Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but math is a life school, uh, a life skill. It is not a school skill. It is not a school skill. It's a life skill. It's a life skill as much as using language is. And we often um, uh, we often hear kids say, "I'm done with my math. I'm all done with my math." You never see hear kids say, "I'm done with my words." That's the end of my words today. No more words today. <laughs> and, and yet you hear them say, "I'm done with my math." And you think, "Wait a minute! You're not done with your math. You're done with your math skill learning, or you're done with your math teaching learning today. But you're not done with your math. It's a part of who you are, a part of how you express yourself." And um, so now I'm going to veer into that, if I may, Sally, uh, a part of how you express yourself. I do workshops on creativity and mathematics. I do workshops on the notion that math should be treated as a creative subject. That, that almost should. seems like an oxymoron there, Stuart. <laughs> I've never heard anybody talk about creativity and math in the same sentence. <laughs> I come out with I come out come out of those workshops encouraging teachers to use those two words in the same sentence at least once a day in their in their math teaching because some of this has to do with training teachers and uh, training teachers in the in the concepts and uh, in the strategies associated uh, with visual learning. But a lot of teachers do this through projects. I 
I'll, I'll touch on one very, very briefly. There's a teacher I've worked with. Her name is Kathy Kuhn. She's a presidential awardee. She's in the state of Florida. And um, uh, she came up for her fourth grade students with a project that they had to vote on an animal. And they selected an animal. They all picked an animal. They ended up picking a hamster because they had just purchased one for the school or something. And then they, she made teams and teams of five children in each team. And each team had to pick a different sport. So that it might be, it might have been baseball, it might have been football, bowling, it could have been anything really, as long as they were all different from one another. And then their job was to research the average height of an adult hamster and then to research the average height of the person playing that sport like basketball, and then to research all of the rigors associated with a regulation basketball court, and then design a basketball court in in correct dimension and scale for a hamster. Well, just think of the work associated with that. And this (laughs) project got so much attention. It was in the newspapers. It was just, these kids did these little bowling alleys and little dance studios, all in dimension and scale for a hamster, for an adult hamster, and learned all about the notion of, 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 of thinking about ratio, proportion, scale, dimension, all of those math skills. And these are fourth graders. And I mean, they did this, and even their parents were stunned that they had the ability to build those little basketball courts or bowling alleys for these kids. So that, that's one example I could go on and on about the examples of creative projects that engage the kids in math, have them working together, cooperating. That's amazing. Yeah. That is crazy, and I'd never think of it, and that is just (laughs) brilliant. And, you know, really, I can see how it got the kids completely engaged. Absolutely. And and, and then by working together, some of the kids who were a little more reluctant about the math but better at drawing, for example, might have started drawing the basketball court, might have started uh, saying, well, what about if we do this? And wait a minute, this looks half as big. Is that about right? And some of the kids who were better expressing words might have written the notes around it. And uh, all of a sudden, you've got this project going on, and the kids learning from one another. I mean, it, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You, you used the right word for it. And uh, it was so exciting, and it was totally engaging of everyone in that classroom. This conversation is truly engaging because I'm learning something new, you know, all about how, you know, we view things and everybody learns differently. Everybody's got their own, you know, talents and ways of learning. And that is that project is a perfect example of that. We're going to come back, uh, Stuart, in just a moment. Talk a little bit more about, you know, why are we taking out pictures out of books as we get older? We really shouldn't be. Uh, And we're going to talk about your other series that you've got. I see. I learn because uh, this is where kids are learning all about emotional intelligence and self-expression. It's wonderful. A great conversation right here with Stuart J. Murphy on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Talk about radio. It's Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Talking all things visual learning with Stuart J. Murphy. Now, Stuart, um, it's interesting because you talk about visual learning and yet somehow... As we're talking in this conversation, I I realize that when we talk about visual books, when we talk about books with illustrations, they're always, the more illustrations there are in the books, the more they are for younger kids. And so as we get older and older and older, there aren't any illustrations in books anymore. But it feels like as I'm talking to you, that is not right. 
That's exactly right. That's one of my plights in life, in fact, right now, is to try and break through to slightly older audiences. I'm so tired of hearing parents say, oh, I'm so proud of my daughter because she's reading chapter books already, meaning books without pictures. And yes, that is great and very important, and I'd love to read chapter books myself, of course. Uh, but at the same time, the, um, I think it's very important for many, many um, types of books and kinds of information for there to be visuals. I mean, just think of some of the books that we read that would be helpful to have a family tree at the beginning of it. Would be helpful to have maps to show exactly where things are going on. Would be helpful to have um, timelines to show what, what took place at the same time, what took place after that, and how much after that, because it would help to bring that information together in a way that would help us to understand it. So I'm always promoting doing that. I actually worked on a Bible at one point with a publisher uh, to try and make visual learning more part of the Bible <laughs> because uh, because people get confused about what was supposed to be happening when, where, and how. And if we could put something like that together into uh, visual diagrams and charts, it would be very helpful in any kind of uh, history book or religious book or uh, anything that we do that we're about. And uh, so I think that it's really important to push the uh, notion forward that um, Books with visuals aren't necessarily younger books. They're books that are bringing information to you in a different way. And um, they don't diminish the learning. They, don't, they, they expand it. What's interesting as well is when we think about some of the, the most creative and innovative people in history, Leonardo da Vinci, for example, he was an artist and a scientist and a mathematician. Mm. But we kind of look at him as, you know, he's an exception. He was just completely exceptional that he was brilliant at all of those different things. But actually... That's, that is the ideal example for learning, isn't it? A absolutely. In fact, I often use this quote about Einstein, that what Einstein was able to do was to think visually. I mean, just think about that and all his brilliance and what he brought to the world that he was able to think visually. And I, can, I think we can say that about many of the, of, of the great teachers of, of uh, history and how they did that and how they do that for us. I also think about... Um, this is a slightly different twist on this notion, but um, you know we're always trying to make certain that our adult population is more informed about the things that they decide upon, the things they vote for, what they're doing, how they're doing that. And yet, we are very uninformed about a lot of the things that we think we know about. And and if we had more information that came to us quickly and visually, I mean, just think if you look at a, a, a whole list of numbers, you know, your, your mind just, you know, uh, your, your eyes just gloss over. But if you looked at that in a kind of graphic, a chart, you'd suddenly see that, oh, yes, that product sold more at that particular time is selling more than this product or that decision to um, uh, whatever it might be, use money for education in this way brought more more of something, more um, advanced learning, more kids going to university in a particular environment. And if you were able to look at that visually and it was in front of you in a graphic that you could um, see that, in, see, that's the word, if you could see that information in just a few seconds and start to analyze it, then in fact it, you would learn more from it. And so um, you, you're, we, we are doing more of that. There's no question. Newspapers and magazines and um, the TV, are there. we are doing more of that, but I don't think we're doing enough and thinking about it enough ways to make it happen. It does give us more clarity that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting about your books, though, the, the Math Start books and others, they've been translated into other languages as well, including Arabic, yes. which is brilliant. Um, but these books have made their way to China, which kind of, uh, you know, I kind of have to stop and go, why are they popular in China? Because you think of China as, you know, it's promoted as one of those countries that is the top in mathematics, 
So why on earth would they need your book? Uh, Sally, I had exactly the same reaction. I was invited to go to China, and I was invited to, um, uh, to, to present my books at some really top forums in China. And I thought, I got there. Of course, I accepted. And I got there, and I said, you know, um, um, r- really, I think we need to get this conversation um, uh, over with right away because I need to understand this. I said, why do you want me here? I'm not a mathematician. Uh, and, and, and my books, in fact, are storybooks about math. And I said, and then secondly, uh, you are the leaders in, in math testing. And the people who were talking to me, we had a great conversation about it. In fact, it was, uh, it was uh, televised. And they, we had a great conversation about it. They said, well, we have learned to teach our kids to test really well in math. And so they're able to do this. They're able to do it quickly. They're able to do mental math. And we're really proud of that. And we don't want to lose that. But we're finding that we are lacking in teaching the ability to use math in everyday experiences. How do you apply this math to your real life? And if we can augment what we're doing well already by adding that notion of the application of mathematics skills to become life skills, then I think we're doing a big favor for our kids. And that's why you're here. And I thought, wow, and uh, very, very uh, important um, kind of conversation. And uh, so uh, um, I think that that's why it happened. And um, um, and you mentioned um, uh, the, the, I'm going to go back to the older book. So I am pushing forward on that. I have a new book coming out next year. Uh, it's on the subject of infographics. It's going to be show and tell. Welcome to the wonderful world of infographics. It's for kids. It's for, it's for kids 8 to 12 years old. Uh, I'm finding out, though, as I'm showing it around and showing it to teachers, because I do that, I review my book with my all my books with teachers and with kids before they're published and um make changes because of that and how I go through the writing process. And uh, I'm finding that a lot of people are saying that, hey, wait a minute, this is starts might start a date, but this is a this is a lifelong skill because it's about, okay, what is data? What is it really? And how do you collect it? And uh, how do you um, how do you organize it? And then how do you show it to other people so it's dynamic, so they understand it? And it's about kids' things. It's, uh, it's the data is about things like favorite colors and favorite uh, foods and all kinds of things that kids are really really interested in their lives. And 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 yet that's the same as data about oil production or data about world population or data about whatever it is you're collecting data about. And so what I'm trying to do is teach them about data and the expression of data in the world in which they live. And then they will become better data collectors and I think uh, better demonstrators of what that information is all about. You've got another uh, series as well. It's called I See, I Learn. And this is uh, something that focuses on social, emotional uh, health and safety and cognitive skills for kids. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, here's what happened. I, I was working um, uh, very hard on my Math Start series, uh, which comes in th- uh, three levels, level one, level two, level three, and level one is very young. It's it's a, it's a, it's a pre-K through grade one, grade two series. And that put me in contact with a lot of educators and a lot of parents uh, of, of really young children. And um, we realized there was a gap there. I started getting more and more engaged in the notion of um, how kids learn before they're really learning in school. And um, went through a lot of the research associated with that and found that one of the biggest predictors of success in school, and in fact in life, is self-regulation. 
It has. It's not how, how early I learned to count or how soon I learned to read. That is, those are not the best predictors of success in school. The best predictors of uh, success in school are how I learned to cooperate, how I learned to cl- control my own behavior, how I learned to interact with other kids, how I learned to interact with adults. And those are the predictors that if kids go into school with, that they're going to be the most successful. They're going to be the most successful at math, which is where I was concentrating my uh, research on, but also the most successful in school in general. And so I wrote a series of books. For example, I have one in front of me, which is called Camille's Team. And Camille's Team is about cooperation. And basically, this group of kids, that they're building a uh, sandcastle, and they find that they're not doing so well on their own. So they learn the skills associated with cooperating. And so the book has graphics in, in it, graphics that show, okay, what do we do? Well, we make a plan. We work together. So we make a plan. We work together. We share the fun. And then there's a graphic at the end which has their hands together, which has been repeated on TV many times, and they learn to cooperate. And they end up building the best sandcastle ever, and it's more than any of them could have done individually. Well, of course, there's a life lesson there. And what you bring to the table, what the other kids bring to the table, and what you might do in whatever you're doing to cooperate with others to make it better and to make it uh, bigger and to make it uh, more important. And so um, uh, so this, uh, this series teaches um, things about getting upset, how to deal with being upset, um, with your own behavior. In fact, I have one book that's called Percy Gets Upset. And uh, it's about the strategies associated with being upset and then the strategies associated with, okay, what do you do about it? And uh, I have, uh, and, and what you do about it is you stop and think, you calm down, you think about it, take a deep breath, you might even count to 10, and you, you learn a strategy for dealing with your own behavior. And um, while this book is for very young children, three to five years old, um, I have many people who buy copies for their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm often signing books to Dear Ralph. <laughs> and uh, so the, Thanks to your lovely uh, wife, Lynette, for <laughs> buying this book. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's just brilliant. Um, but, you know, this is so important because you know, it's going uh, beyond um, what we think of as the hard skills. That These are often labeled, labeled as soft skills, our ability to deal with one another and, and to regulate our own emotions. But actually, there are human skills that we need all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, yes, they are labeled soft skills. I don't mind that because, I mean, they're softly, nicely a part of our lives. And, mm. uh, and, and so they're not demanding hard skills. They're the soft skills that make us who we are. Um, I was talking to the uh, kids yesterday in the school and uh, talking about writing skills, for example. And I said, you know, you, know you, you need to stop and think about your writing skills because um, we all think about, you know, how we look and uh, you know what uh, you know what our hair looks like and uh, how you know what we how we present ourselves visually and what are the things we like that make our appearance what it is and uh, I said but many people are going to meet you for the first time in what you wrote their very first impression of you is going to be that email or that letter or that whatever it is that introduces you to them and that's who they think you're going to be and so I think you've got to think about you know what is your what is your writing like and how important is that and how you can develop that skill and uh, make it more um, expressive of who you are. Mm. Mm. What is your advice to um, to writers who want to do what you do, want to reach kids, um, you know, and and hopefully captivate them with their storytelling? Do it a lot and share it a lot. Um, I think you know it's like anything else. If you're learning to play the piano, 
uh, if you're learning to play basketball, you do it a lot, and 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 then you do it with other people and in front of other people, uh, because that that's what the skill is. We're and, afraid of sharing and, it though. Uh, well, the sharing part <laughs> is just so important uh, because yeah. uh, it uh, teaches you who your audience is. I mean, who are you writing this for? Right. Who are you drawing this for? You yeah. Know? And is it for you? And that's fine. Uh, you know, and then people might enjoy it or not. Is it for a younger audience? I write for a very young audience, so I spend a lot of time with kids. Is it difficult writing? For for kids? It is. It is. It's uh, because you have to control your language. You have to think all the time about, hey, what, what, how much have I given them in this one sentence, this one paragraph, this one set of phrases? Uh, um, is that fair? Is that right? Is that something that they'll absorb? Uh, uh, what? What? How many? What, how many syllables do the words have? Uh, how familiar are they with those words? Can I, maybe I want to introduce this in complex word and therefore keep the words around that complex word very simple so, so that the complex word shines out and they're able to get that. And so that using that language, and it fits, by the way, that's true of the visuals too. I, I don't separate them as much as you'd expect that this is visual, this is verbal. I kind of do it together. Mm. Um, in fact, I often when I'm working, I don't know whether it's going to be visual or verbal. I just start doing it and making like little sketches and and, um, kind of storyboarding my stories. It's kind of kind of like you know, it's all one. Yeah. So it's it's not about I need you know this many number of words in the story or whatever or this many many pictures. You kind of just go with it organically. Yeah, it's communication. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's communication, and we do it. I uh, we're both doing it in front of one another uh, as we talk to one another because we both use our hands quite a bit. I've noticed, and yeah. uh, and that's visual. That's yes. visual because that emphasizes a point or not. It uh, calms down a point or not, and uh, I think that um, all of those things are you. Organic is the right word to use. You use the word organic. It's part of an organic part of our expression. As Sharjah now is uh, crowned the World Book Capital, I want to know from you, um, who are the authors that you've loved growing up, reading growing up, and have had, um, even now, you know, the biggest impact on you? You know, well, uh, uh, one of my favorite books as I was a child, I was talking about this book yesterday as a child called The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. It's uh, still published. It's uh, it's about a little house that uh, was on a hill, and everybody loved the little house, and, um, the, uh, and then houses started to be built around it, and then more houses started to be built around it, and then all of a sudden factories, and all of a sudden skyscrapers, and all of a sudden it became... Uh, this broken down little house that uh, finally a truck came along and moved back to the country and got fixed it up and it became the little house in the beginning of the story. And it's all done visually and I would go back and forth, spend hours going back and forth between the illustrations, making sure that the little house was still on the piece of land that it was on in the earlier picture, even though it was uh, surrounded by other things and what skyscraper replaced what farmhouse and all of that kind of thing. And um, the um, that, that was an influential book for me. Uh, I uh, love a book that uh, became a film and then got republished as a book called Paddle to the Sea, which is about a, a, a young boy who carves um, uh, someone in a, in a, in a canoe and uh, a wooden carving and is living in Canada. And uh, it's in the middle of a snowstorm or ice storm and the, and the little boat slips down and ends up in a, um, uh, in a, um, a stream that goes to a river that goes to the Atlantic Ocean. And it's the adventures of that boat as it makes that pathway. And it's absolutely fascinating because it's done in uh, full-fledged illustrations and then running little sketches around the text, which are visual vocabulary, 
to the things you might know about, like um, might not know about, like um, how locks work or what a, what a bell buoy is, and things like that are all explained in little black and white sketches around the text with then full full fledged illustrations. So, talk about visual verbal communication. I mean, that's just was just fascinating to me, and I think using those kinds of books um, uh, helps set the stage for that notion of the visual and verbal coming together that I use in all my work. I love that. Mm-hmm. What one of my favorite kind of uh, examples of where that happens really well is uh, the Marvel books. Yes, you know absolutely. the Marvel comics. Yep, they're wonderful. And and oftentimes comics get um, you know dismissed mm-hmm. as not real books for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. You know for kids and yet actually they're deeply complex and deeply beautiful you know there's incredible things going on each page mm. um you know and and all of that is is coming to a child it's incredible well that's the i think the transition from comic to graphic novel has helped uh, to give the idea of comics and graphic novels a place in the world that they didn't have before and i i'm excited about that transition taking place it's great You've got uh, still uh, the power of visual learning and storytelling in early childhood. This is uh, one of your sessions coming up. You're not only speaking to kids, but you're speaking to teachers doing professional development workshops too. We're so excited to have you here, Stuart J. Murphy, as part of the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival. Thank you so much. Sally, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Coming up next, we have more award-winning authors right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.